0: Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio, the Authors on Fire podcast. I am Pat Rulo, here today with Kathy O'Shea at rhymes. and today we are going to talk <laughs> about her Firebird Book Award-winning book titled So Much More Than a Headache, Understanding Migraine Through Literature. Kathy has suffered with migraines for over 42 years and for 33 years has been a professor of English who has combined these significant parts of her life into this literary anthology centered around five themes related to migraine. She is the winner of the Chancellor's Award for Excellence in Teaching and has two beloved Golden Retrievers who are official therapy dogs at Monroe Community College in Rochester, New York, where she teaches literature, composition, and humanity courses. She is a regular migraine blogger on psychologytoday.com We've got lots to talk about. Welcome to the network, Kathy. Thank you so much. So glad to be with you. Thank you. Oh, I'm so happy that you're here, too, and congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Award. I was happy to share I, that. I appreciate that. Yes, this is a subject I don't have what I would consider migraines, but I've had headaches like constantly for 20 years, so I remember when, when you first we first met and and I um, saw the title of your book. I'm thinking, yes, we need to understand more (laughs) and more here. So I understand that you have suffered with migraines yourself. So what made you decide to write a book about it? It was interesting how it happened. Actually, I
1: had been in a um, intractable um, migraine for two to three months, actually. And so it was running through you know, for different parts of its cycle. So it was never always full blown, but it was, you know, in different stages all the time for two, between two and three months. And ironically, um, or maybe not so ironically, um, my headache specialist had recently retired and he had been my, you know, um, oh, he was a wonderful caretaker and uh, expert in the field. For, for me for over uh, 19 years, and so I was left without a headache specialist because there are so few uh, in the country, actually, even though we have between 40 and 41 million migraine sufferers. So I, um, I finally was beside myself, and I remember I was at work one day and not knowing where to turn, and then finally I thought to myself, why don't you turn where you tell your students to turn in times of difficulty and pain and grief, um, and that is literature. So I went back to my office, and I found an essay that um, ironically had first found me because I had been a graduate student and was uh, teaching my first freshman composition class, and I was handed the textbook I would use, and the first reading in the textbook was Joan Didion's In Bed, and I opened it up, and I read it. This is as a graduate student, and I was, in, I was just sobbing in tears uh, uh, after reading it because it, I realized somebody gets it. This person really gets it. And it's the first time I'd really felt that way. And so I reread it in my office. It had been many years. And then I got to thinking, you know, if this author, who's a very obviously well known, celebrated author, Has suffered with migraine. There've got to be many other authors who've written about migraine, who have suffered from migraine. And so for my own personal benefit, I started looking into that and looking into more literature, poetry, fiction, drama, uh, essays, um, from writers who either were writing about the subject of migraine or they were, uh, they were people suffering with migraine themselves. And then I started just be astounded at the vast array of really well-known writers that um, I was coming across. And it wasn't until, you know, I started seeing patterns emerging and started getting ideas in my mind about different themes I was seeing coming out of a lot of the works that I thought, you know, this could really turn into something mm-hmm. that maybe you could help other people. So that's how I came to start writing the book, and so it was probably six years ago now uh, that that I first started thinking about putting a proposal together for
0: a publisher. This is just so fascinating that uh, because typically you would think you're going to write a a, a textbook kind of a book or a how to or those kind of a reference book right. on, on migraines, but to but to put words to a pain that actually defies words is just a stunning idea to meet at that intersection of literature and medicine and very unique well i appreciate that and that's you know one thing that i was you know
1: excited about and kind of passionate about as i started looking into these authors was that you know i don't think i i I remember thinking i don't think there's any conflict this out there i mean there are many you know Self-help books, and, and you know, and I'm not I'm not any kind of medical professional um, by any means. So, I knew I didn't have the you know the, the any kind of experience in writing about it from that angle. But um, I did I do love literature, obviously, and I do know what literature can do for us. And you know above and you know above all, it, it makes us feel less alone. And so I think you put it very, uh, you know, eloquently when you said that you're trying to put words to something that you can't put words to. Mm-hmm. And there are many, many um, psychologists that, that uh, um, Elaine Scari comes to mind that wrote an essay about how you can't, that there are no words, you know, no, we don't have the vocabulary to describe pain. And, um, I, I feel that in some sense that's true. And yet I think literature, Um, can capture, you know, it it can, if it's the right piece for the right person, it can capture the essence of of, you know, what clinical and objective kind of language can't. And so and also it can be a narrative like, you know, much of much of what we want as people suffering with migraine is to be able to share our narrative, our own, our own narrative. And what's so beautiful about stories and poetry and so on is that they, too, um, share um, that form.
0: Oh, for sure, yes. Typically, you wouldn't think of poetry when you think of migraines or a short play, uh, but you did yeah. capture it. I, I, one of them stuck in my mind, I don't remember it exactly, but something about an eggshell. It was just a little short three or four lines. Wow, how powerful was that so uh I think you did capture it through this unique way of as I said intersecting and weaving together literature and medicine so maybe just give us a peek you said that there's five themes just uh, give us an idea of of what we'll sure. find when we get into your book
1: yeah so what happened was as I mentioned they were they were starting to fall in, fall into these into these kind of Patterns or interesting themes. And so I knew I didn't want it to be a kind of chronological anthology. You know, I have a piece, like a medieval piece even, uh, that's, uh, been translated. And, uh, you know, I, and I do have pieces from all the centuries coming right up to very, very current writers. But I thought, no, I don't, I don't want that. I want, to, I want to pull out like so that people can go and find the piece that really captures you know their experience. So while you know what's interesting too is that some of the pieces could go into more than one of the chapters. So uh like I I begin the book with uh Joan Didion's in bed because I think that book or I'm sorry that essay really uh encapsulates all of the all of the themes that that are in the book and then I end the book I sort of You know, frame it with that piece and then at the end, uh, Anna Leahy's, uh, great essay called Half Skull Days because I believe that that too captures, uh, the essence of all five of the themes. But then the first theme is, um, I focus on the experience of migraine itself. So it's a collect, so you'll get poetry and fiction, um, and essays primarily on you know, what it's like to experience migraine, sort of the kind of physicality, the visceral aspects of it. And then I, and I, t- I try to take, uh, the reader through the different phases of migraine, the kind of four stages of migraine. And, uh, so I have pieces that, that, that kind of, uh, you know, weave in all, all four of those stages. And then the second chapter really, I think, is a very important one because anybody suffering with chronic illness uh, and migraine in this case uh, knows that, you know, suffering with chronic illness is often suffering with an invisible disease, right? So, you know, we began talking and you're suffering with a headache right now. And yet your listeners um, probably aren't going to know that, right? So um, it's not like you have, um, you know, uh, uh, laryngitis and you can't speak for your job. It's not like you have a broken leg so people see you have crutches and know that you're in pain. That we, as people suffering with chronic illness, we we hide the symptoms so well uh, it, 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 you know, unless it's impossible that you know people think we're better, much better than we really are. So it's an invisible disease in the sense, in that sense, but also in the sense that so much of society to this day doesn't understand the disease. So that leads nicely into the third chapter, which is called "Is Just a Headache?" Question mark because. That's what so many people think, even today. That you know, migraine. When you say you have, you're suffering with migraine, it's uh, people will say, "Well, I've got a you know couple of Excedrin in my pocket," and it's you know, it, in other words, they have no no idea. and It's not. It's that part of that is our a lot of our faults that we're not better educating uh, people on migraine, but also. I have to say, only in the last probably five years or so has the disease become uh, as as um, uh, it, it researched as it has and has, have there been treatments that have been specifically designed for migraine. So, you know, it, it, but it goes, the history of the, its invisibility in the sense that people feel it's just a, a bad headache goes way back centuries. Um, you know specifically to the 19th century when you think of you know the era of hysteria and how hysteria was treated and when it was considered a women's disease and that's true with migraine you know 70% of all migraine sufferers are women it's true but uh it, but there's this idea that you know just rest and it'll go away um, and and also not understanding that it's not Just a headache in the sense that the headache is only one component of suffering with migraine. It affects your entire being, you know, your cognitively and physically and psychologically. And that leads into the fourth chapter, which is called it's a full-time lifelong job. And if you suffer with chronic migraine, that means by definition, you have you suffer with migraine more than 15 days per month. And it's not one doctor or one treatment that that takes care of it or even controls it um, you have a, you have a, a whole team of people that help you and a and a, a whole uh um bag of tricks and and not tricks but i should say treatments um some of which are pharmaceutical and some of which are not and um there are a lot of neuromodular devices now that help with treatment but for, for instance, I go for Botox, you know, regularly. I go to once a week for um, physical therapy with, with a, a physical therapist who works specifically with chronic migraine patients with neck trouble. And you know, so it's and you know, and you're going to your headache specialist if you're lucky enough to have one, or your neurologist. You're getting nerve blocks. You're getting, you know, your uh, injections, and and so it's a it's a a whole combination of, of, you know, so it feels like a full-time, a you know, second full-time job to, to try to control it. Uh, and then the final chapter, I want to kind of leave, leave it, I wanted to leave it, um, in two ways. One, which is the, uh, incredible, I went through this just about, um, a week ago, Euphoria, and it truly is a sense of euphoria when the migraine lifts. And I, I always say it feels like it lifts out of the body because it's all the symptoms. I mean, all of a sudden you, you are. Like I'll wake up one morning after maybe seven, eight days of being in migraine. I'll wake up and I feel like a normal human being, and you, you feel like you're on top of the world and you can do anything. Uh, But then what follows that, and there's a psychological term for it, and it's not coming to my mind right now, um, but is the immediate fear of when the next one's going to be. How much time do I have? How much should I do? But but then I don't want to overdo because I don't want to bring on my triggers that bring on another migraine. Um, So there's a lot of fear involved in suffering with a disease like this as well.
0: Wow. You can't even enjoy that little bit of downtime that you have because you're afraid.
1: You're afraid. Ah, yeah. you, you, get, you know, you have that, I, I, I say it so real with me because it, it just happened like a week ago and oh. I was so, I was on top of the road, I came to my husband and I said, oh, and you know, and, and, and I just, it was full of energy, I was, you know, in a much better frame of mind, a better mood. Um, I, you know, could do all the things I couldn't, you know, hadn't been able to do. But then immediately you start thinking of, okay. as I say, you know, what the next one could come 10 minutes from now, mm-hmm. or it could be, you know, uh, a month and you just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you try to minimize bringing on the triggers that you know you start to learn to have mm-hmm. when you educate yourself about migraine. Um, Because that's the other thing. It's such an individualized disease which makes it very difficult to treat.
0: You know, you're calling it a disease and I would think that most people wouldn't consider it a disease. I just think that's... Yeah, it is. But I'm saying when people hear the word disease, they're not thinking of a migraine, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Because again, we tend to use phrases and I'm guilty of it myself, but saying that I have a migraine But that's, that's not true. You're having, you could, you're having, you're, you have migraine. Right. Okay. So, as a disease and you're having an attack, you know, um, but the attack can be, uh, you know, just your initial warning signs, you know, that, that you're getting. And then you might be able to abort it with, you know, your rescue treatments, Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you're fortunate enough. And then, Mm Most of us also are, you know, living day-to-day on on any number of preventative medications uh, in addition to the abortive or rescue treatments that
0: we take. So there's a lot of misconceptions, and it doesn't Mm. make it easy for you as a person experiencing it. Has the healthcare community caught up uh, in general, do you think? Uh, That's a great question.
1: I think they're catching up. I think um, it's an ongoing process. I know... I remember when my headache specialist retired, um, I, you know, I was just struggling so that he said to me, Kathy, the next three to five years are going to be very exciting in terms of migraine treatment, which was to be true. I mean, that's when the CGRP treatment started coming out, that there was a new understanding of what migraine really is and how it, uh, is a, you know, overstimulation of the brain. Um, and so you're getting all these electrical impulses in the brain and hypersensitivity. So that's why, for instance, some of us have uh, um, sensitivity to sound. I, I happen to. If I, That's a warning sign for me. If all of a sudden the world becomes much louder and you can't, I mean, I just become hypersensitive to it and can't take it uh some people it's 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 visual you know so light bothers them so they have to go into a dark room uh some people can be triggered by fragrances so even smell so that's why like in my uh, physical therapy office they have a big sign up there that says many of our patients are mytheim patients so please come in fragrance free uh so so I think in the last, I would say maybe five to seven years, uh, you know, finally more research has been done, some more studies have been done. They, they've only then come up with, um, migraine medications that were specifically designed to treat migraine. Until then, any medication we took was med- medication that was designed for some other, other some other illness. And then happen to work for some migraine patients. So there's so much trial and error. Uh, and even though there still is these, these new drugs that they have on the market, these CGRPs have been tremendously helpful for those suffering, uh, with this disease. Mm-hmm. So I think, and you know, I think to the, um, I think the, the saddest part, as I mentioned much earlier, is that there are so few people specializing as neurologists, specializing in headache medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons for that, uh, as I understand it, having talked to several. Um, but it's, uh, it's not considered a field that, you know, many, many want to go into because it's, uh, My one, my one neurologist once, I asked her the question, you know, why are there so few? Why are, why are people not going into this field? And she said her exact words were, uh, Kathy, it's not considered a sexy disease. So, in other words, even my, my current neurologist, uh, admitted to me that she would rather, she liked working with migraine patients, but she would rather work with, patients with, say, movement disorders and things like that. Um, I think it's because, in part, more uh, there's more of the actual, um, you know, I can't speak for them. I really can't, except to say that's what they tell me. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. I would guess, just from what you're saying, then, that there are diagnostic lapses of time where people go for a long periods of time, perhaps without even getting a proper diagnosis? Boy, that's so true.
1: I, I was talking with uh, one of my um, former neurologists, uh, or headache specialists, actually, on Saturday, and she was talking just about that. You know, the fact that, you know, primary care physicians, you know, they're so, they're such generalists, obviously, they have to be, that they, you know, they don't understand uh, or or they're not able to stay current with what's happening in the field. And so therefore they're not, they're not necessarily able to diagnose migraine. Even a lot of general neurologists, same thing. They're dealing with so many different illnesses that migraine is just one. And so they're not able to stay current and, and not able to, to recognize some of the very individualized symptoms or like warning signs. Like for instance, I remember being shocked to learn that I, I remember I would often come home. I used to have a very long commute and, from work and I would about four o'clock in the afternoon, I would start this excessive yawning and it was really excessive. And to the point that I also have TMJ, which is a comorbidity of migraine and, um, uh, and it would start to hurt my jaw because I was just, it was nonstop yawning. What I never understood until I read it somewhere and I put the pieces together with my own situation, that's a warning sign for me. Mm. Excessive yawning is a common warning sign for someone that, well, you got a migraine coming. Mm. So uh, you better do something about it. So, I mean, who would you know that, right? I mean, you wouldn't think of that as being one. So uh, these are all nuances of this disease
0: that, you know, it's hard for people, for even, you know, medical professionals to keep up with. Yes, Yes, that's a perfect word, the nuance. It's not like you can pinpoint it and say, if you have this, you have that. Um, because exactly. everyone is different. So it sounds like nobody recovers if you have migraines. Basically, you just learn to, as you said, abort and rescue and just kind of maintain and, and, and try to have as many comforting days as you can. Is is that true that nobody really recovers and never has them again?
1: Um, you know, that's a good question, too, because while there is no cure, okay, so there's nothing anyone can think that's going to cure migraine. However, some young folks, like uh, adolescents, do outgrow them. Okay. I mean, I, uh, a friend of mine's son, as uh, just as one example, but I know this for a fact, that he suffered them terribly when he was uh, young, when he was maybe 11, 12, 13, that, that, around those that ages. And by the time he was, uh, you know, 16 or so, he had outgrown them. Mm-hmm. And so some young people do outgrow them. Now, I got my first migraine when I was 14. And, but they were episodic at that point, you know, and some people stay episodic, meaning they come every so often, you know, not regularly, but, but every, you can't determine how often, but they come, but they're not real regular and you're not, it's not something you're suffering with every day. Uh, that, that was true for me until I had a, um, very early in my life had to have a hysterectomy. Um, and when I came out of that, I went into chronic migraine uh, and it took like two months to get me out of it and to get me out of that one cycle. And I've never gone back to episodic. Um, and I, I likely never will. I mean, there's not at my point, at my stage because some people actually, uh, interestingly enough, when they go through menopause, um, there are some women who it helps their migraine. I mean, it helps reduce the number of migraines that they get. So, uh, those, those are the two kinds of people that, I mean, I think of when I think of anybody who is actually, uh, experienced, you know, say a, an ending to migraine. Mm-hmm.
0: There's hormonal component to this as oh, well. Oh, huge yeah. hormonal! A lot of. I never had hormonal component to
1: mine, but a lot of young women. Um, it, it's very. They're. It's a very. It's very much affected Part by of, their hormone cycle. Uh,
0: wow, so much to know here, and I think your book is, is absolutely brilliant in just the way you portrayed it, and I. I just think the poetry and the essays. It's just kind of captures that essence. Like I said before, it distills it into, into a feeling that you typically wouldn't expect. So your work is brilliant here. I am so, so... Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm so happy that we've had this opportunity to just kind of get a little understanding to some of this. And I want to make sure as we begin to wrap up that we're not missing anything pertaining to your book or anything else today that you wanted to talk about. No, I think you asked some fantastic questions, and I'm very happy to speak with you. I appreciated the opportunity. Oh my gosh, this is my, my pleasure. So if you would, Kathy, share any contact information, places folks can find out more about you, get copies of your book, anywhere you need to take it. Sure. Um, so I have a Facebook page. Um, it's
1: called So Much More Than a Headache, and uh I so uh, well you know uh, I frequently post things um I have uh I usually post my uh links to my articles on uh Psychology Today there mm-hmm. but you know you can learn more about the book and and uh you know I would invite people to check that out also um I'm on LinkedIn I have a LinkedIn account and also um i have a website uh that is actually in in transition right now um i'm having a new one um so i will hesitate to put that the name of that out yet but um in the next week or two actually it's going to go live and um in terms of purchasing the book you can really purchase it almost anywhere uh, you know, obviously Amazon, um, but any of the bookstores. I obviously always highly recommend independent bookstores. I like to to support those, but also Kent State University Press. Uh, Amazon sometimes likes to fluctuate the price a little bit and mm-hmm. goes a little bit high every now and then. I'm not sure why, but so if you always want the same price that the book originally sold for, you know, your best bet probably is is the Kent State University Press. But you can get it, if you want, anybody wants a peek at it, you can do one of those look inside, just to see if it interests you, if you go to Amazon and just type in the title.
0: Well, anyone who has experienced migraines or knows anyone who has, is living with this, obviously would want to take more than a peek into your book, get a copy of it. (laughs) Title is so much more than a headache, understanding migraine through literature, written by Kathy O'Shea. You, my friend, are a fountain of information. I've learned a lot ah, today. <laughs> and, uh, there's obvious, thank you so much. There's obvious, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> it is my pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much.